Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show is made possible by a generous grant that we receive so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. Joining me this week is Monique Layton, who is the Recruitment Coordinator in Region 4 of Fostering Idaho, EWU, I'm not sure what that means, but you'll tell us, Family Resource and Training Center, and Tia Augusta, who also works with Fostering Idaho as a peer mentor for foster parents and is committed to helping others through the experience. Welcome, ladies. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you very much for having us. Absolutely. Tia and her family have been featured in the pages of Christian. Your husband's actually been in twice, but you, your family was featured in our January-February issue a year ago in January 2020. And so if the name's familiar, Jeff, her husband, was in studio with me, oh gosh, like three months ago. And it was fun. I My first few shows, I invited people I knew and was comfortable with, so I didn't have to deal with stage fright. Monique, I'm going to start with you, and today we're going to talk about fostering and and what that looks like. And so getting ready for today's show, I did a little bit of research to refresh my memory. As you and I were talking before we went on air, I've been working closely with my nephew, who's very active in the fostering program in Oregon. And so I had to go back and make sure that I had my Idaho (laughs) stats ready to go. So... In doing my research, I was reminded that the state of Idaho receives nearly 23,000 calls of suspected child abuse, neglect, or abandonment each year. And often that's the first step for a child who ultimately ends up in the foster care program. That was kind of a touch summary. How, How does this work? How does a child end up ultimately in foster care? So kids end up in foster care. Normally it comes in because a report has been made by a, by a concerned community member about that child's safety and well-being. And so a report is made to the child protection hotline and workers at health and welfare um, go out and they assess the situation. They work in conjunction with law enforcement because it is law enforcement that ultimately declares a child in imminent danger and brings them into foster care. They come into care from all different walks in our community. So sometimes we hear these um, unfair stereotypes that kids come from just certain walks of life or different parts in our community, but that really isn't the case. We see them come in due to abuse, neglect, and, aman- and abandonment from from all different parts in our community. Families are distressed and different things happen. I don't think anyone ever sets out to be you know, a bad parent, but things happen and kids need to come into foster care so that they can be placed in a safe temporary home while things are worked out with their parents and they can be returned home safely. So I, I love that. I love too that the focus is not talking stereotypes, that the foster care program is not meant to permanently remove a child. Right. Let's talk about reuniting families a little bit. Right. So I I think it's important to stress that foster parents aren't they don't replace a parent. They are really meant to come along to be a support, not just to the child that's in their home, but to that family to be in a supportive role. Maybe that's going to be in a mentoring aspect, showing an example of, you know, safe ways to parent, ways to engage with their kids. Um, And it's a nice aspect about being a foster parent is the foster parent is not in an authority role in that dynamic. They really are in a position where they can come alongside a birth family and be a support. 
um, and take good care of their kids and assure them that they want their kids to be able to go home and um, encourage them, you know, as they're doing their case plan, working on things that need to be changed and take place before that child can be reunited back home. You know, we have to, I always laughed and told, of course, my kids are grown, but I, I always laughed and told my boys, you did not come with an owner's manual, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes we have to take classes and, and be helped because they have needs. I had one that was diagnosed and, and it's an overused term today, but um, he was diagnosed strong-willed and there were no classes for strong-willed kids. And so they sent me to a class for ADD and ADHD kids. Mm-hmm. And the parenting skills that I learned at that class were phenomenal. So, and we did have an intact home environment, but I can imagine that sometimes you're just overwhelmed. Right. Life life happens. And, and especially this last year, has there been an increased need this last year? I think there has, and there's, you know, it's has been different for the entire system on how they are able to do their work, you know, with COVID safety measures and how they're doing um, home assessments to get foster families licensed. Visitation is still taking place with kids and their families because that's such an important part of cases. But even with that, you know, things have been set up in place to keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, so, so it is different. The need for foster families has definitely not gone away. We, we need families from the community to step up and be that safe place for kids. If one of our listeners suspects abuse, what is the first step? So the first step is to take, you know, think about what they're seeing. Child protection covers very specific criteria, abuse, neglect, and abandonment. And there are definitions of what falls into that category. So they would want to make sure that it's something that they personally have seen or know about, not hearsay or not guessing. They would call the child protection hotline and make the referral with as much information as they have about the name of the child, the address, the parents' names, what specific information they have. And then the person making the report is not in the position to investigate that. Health and Welfare has trained staff that assess for safety in those situations, and they'll go out and They have a priority guideline, which helps them outline, you know, which cases they need to get out to immediately, um, which ones there is, you know, maybe a day or so delay before they go out if the child's not in imminent danger at that point. Um, And so health and welfare will make that assessment and partner with law enforcement if need be on those. And then the community member really needs to just make the report. If they are concerned, they should make the call. Yeah. But if if they witness physical violence, physical abuse. I'm sure we're supposed to call 911 immediately and let them handle it. Yeah. So I think if they were witnessing it happening right there and it's a safety issue and they needed to call 911, absolutely. But if they, you know, see a child that has bruising, unexplained marks on their body, you know, that type of thing, they yeah. would want to call child protection. Child. CPS. That's, that's good. Then we're going to talk about what is foster care? Who qualifies for foster care? Okay. Is, there, are, is there an age limit? So child protection um, purview, it covers kids, brand newborn babies, clear up until the day they turn 18 years old, at which point at 18, they are legally an adult. But if they are still in school or want to continue on with education, a child, you know, reaches the age of 18, they can participate in the independent living program, which is kind of under an umbrella still of foster care, um, where they can continue on with education. Like I said, maybe they aren't done with high school, they want to go on to college or trade school. So they can continue on under the independent living program. The kids need to fit under that child protection purview. There's a hearing that takes place about three business days after a child's declared an imminent danger to make sure that that case has met the criteria. 
we need foster parents that are willing and able to take kids of all different ages. All different ages. And sometimes there's more than one. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes kids will have a sibling in care. Yeah. Do you have to have any physical or medical training to be a, a foster parent? Um, no, you don't. Of course, that's helpful if somebody has that. Um, what happens is a person that's interested would fill out a foster care application and they would list three personal references and then they need to list also a medical reference. So the medical reference is really important because the doctor would provide information if that person is medically, emotionally, and physically fit and ready for the experience of being a foster parent. Because these kids don't come at the best time of their life. Often there's a lot Mm -hmm. of trauma involved. So they need a stable home environment, a right. stable foster home to, right. to go to. So that, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So we talked about who can be a foster parent and the ages that are covered. Is there a, is there a minimum age for foster parents? Because there's a shortage of foster parents. A lot of our listeners may, may not be aware, but there's a shortage of foster parents. What happens with a foster child when we don't have enough foster parents? Well, the hope is that we're able to place them with foster parents that are already licensed and ready to go but that you're right that's not always the case so sometimes kids will stay at health and welfare with social workers overnight while they're still trying to line up placement i can say in idaho we do a really good job of placing kids with relatives right from the beginning approximately 40 percent of kids that enter foster care are placed with relatives or fictive kin so someone that knew that child before they entered foster care maybe it was a neighbor or close family friend or school teacher whoever it might be that knew that child And then they try really hard to locate relatives throughout the life of the case so that child can be placed with people that they know and love. That's got to add a lot of stability Mm -hmm. in their lives at a a shaky time. Yeah. So, but if you were looking to be a a foster parent, is there an age? I mean, can an 18-year-old, an 18-year-old be a foster parent? Right. You asked that. I forgot to answer that part of the question. Um, You need to be 21 years of age to be a foster parent in order to apply. And then we often get asked, well, am I too old to be a foster parent? That's where that medical reference really comes in because there is not an, an age maximum either. It really relies on that medical reference. So we need foster parents of all different ages and from all different walks in our community. So before we went on air, we were talking about the Idaho Wednesday's Child Program a little bit. Can you, can you share just a little bit about what that what that looks like, what that who, who qualifies for the Idaho Wednesday's Child, what is that program? And I will, before you, before you answer, I'm sorry, I ask you a question and then cut you off. Um, starting in our March edition, we will feature, we will have a Wednesday's Child feature in every issue of Christian Living Magazine. So we're really excited about partnering with the Wednesday's Child program. Oh, very good. I appreciate that you're going to have that in your magazine. So the Wednesday's Child program is connected to the foster care program. So from the very beginning, a child's um, going to be in foster care. The hope is going to be that they can be reunited safely back home with their family or placed with relatives. So as that case plan is progressing, um, that is the plan. Um, There are times where a child is not able to return home for whatever reason, and then the case manager will refer a child over to Wednesday's child in hopes to let the community be aware that there are children that need permanency. And so the child's picture and a nice little profile is written up explaining, you know, what type of hope that child is hoping to be connected to. And Wednesday Child is just a way for our community to be aware that there are kids in Idaho that need permanent families. So you can look on the Wednesday Child website, has a list of those kids with their pictures 
It's easy for a family to look at that and then make an inquiry. Sean White, the Wednesday's child coordinator, will get back with them and provide information and tell them the process for going forward in that. And these are, these are beautiful children. I know Tia, Tia's sitting over here being really quiet, but not for much longer. Last night on social media, Tia had posted the Wednesday's Child link and I, and I had to go through all the kids and I, I messaged her. I said, I need a house with 27 bedrooms. These are beautiful children. They are. You know, these are that, that need some stability, permanent stability. Mm-hmm. They need a family. Right. That's cool. So Fostering Idaho website, I had trouble finding it. So can you tell our listeners what the Fostering Idaho website is? Sure. It's just fosteringidaho.org. On that website, you can find the link to the upcoming foster care information meetings. We have two of them that are scheduled in February, one on February 10th and one on February 11th. Those will be held through Zoom, so you can join from the comfort of your own home. You need to register in advance for those meetings so that you can get the Zoom link. I'm making notes. There you go. (laughs) For our social media. (laughs) Right. Very good. So our audience is probably going, okay, you've indicated that Tia's in the room and people are probably wondering why. And so Tia and her husband, Jeff, who Jeff has been on our show before, became foster parents. Tia, you want to share your family story? Yeah. So we had became instant foster parents through, um, we'd help partner up with Jesse, our buddy, and doing a community outreach with the youth program. And we had shown up there for, to do some video. And um, ended up meeting this super cute little girl, and she'd walked by, and we found out it was her birthday, so we gave her a surprise birthday party, and people like had a following of her and were really interested in her, and we just knew God was telling us there was something more to this family, and we just kept reaching out to these people to see what if there's something we can do to help them in their situation, and ended up just getting them from the shelters a lot, trying to be the good, positive light. Yes. And their parents' eyes and kind of built that relationship with the birth mom. And when they end up going into foster care, our names came up and the state assessor, she called and she says, hey, your name comes up a lot. Do you want to become foster parents? So we became like instant parents to these kiddos, but instant foster parents, not to replace the birth parents. We worked reunification tirelessly two and a half years. And it just wasn't in God's plan for that to happen. Well, and actually, it was probably longer than that because you knew them before they became foster kids. So you worked for a very long, long time with the birth parents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes, so much. And today, you know, the whole goal of the foster program is reunification with with either the birth parents or family members. Oh, absolutely. And, And yet... Sadly, occasionally it doesn't happen. And so today you are forever Augusta. <laughs> yeah, it's there happily ever Augusta. That was my theme at our wedding. And that's our family's theme as well. And they're part of the team. Yeah, the ultimate goal of foster care is 100% reunification. Foster parents do not replace the birth parents. They are not there to be the better parent. It's it's not a competition between that. The parents, the foster parents are resource parents. They are part of that team and community to come around and support them, their time, working that reunification goal. Because you want those children to reunify when it is safe and quickly impossible to return home. 
So you are, um, your, your title, if you will, is you're a peer mentor for foster parents. What do you do? A resource peer mentor. Oh, I love my job so much. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is to really be there and support the foster parents and when they go through the process and to help them with the goal. And when they get that kiddo in the home to step into their life and help them in that child in that situation, whatever it was, to come alongside of them and say, hey, pretty much like we could do this together. Provide the community resources to them as well as the classes. And we're always looking for really good foster parents. Really good. Yes. Just to be there for them. Like the peer part, like a friend. I like to say like, hey, we're in this together, you know? The peer support. You're not alone. Yes. So, so folks, if you're thinking, if you're hearing this show today and, you, and you're aware that there's a shortage of foster parents and, and that is something that, that is near and dear to your heart, that's God maybe laying on your heart, but you're afraid because we're always afraid to do things alone. Understand that Fostering Idaho has set up a program where you're not alone, that you have people who have walked this mile that are willing to come alongside of you and mentor you through that process so you're not thrown to the sharks thrown to the wolves, it's not sink or swim. You actually have partners that walk through this with you. So, and and would you say that the largest percentage of foster kids in Idaho are returned with their families? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well over 60%. That number kind of fluctuates from year to year, but it's right around the 65% are returned home. And if not returned home, are returned to be with relatives. Not that it matters, but from my personal experience, when I was a teenager, I babysat for a woman who was a foster mother and her husband was a long haul truck driver. And I never knew when I showed up to babysit how many kids I was going to be keeping. And and I saw them at all ages. I mean, she had a three week old baby with with a broken leg that but that that actually happened when another child fell on them. It was not a, it, the child was not a foster child from getting injured that way. But she's like, um, the baby has a broken leg, but it was an accident when another child fell on them. So, <laughs> okay. But every one of her kids, with only one exception, were returned back mm-hmm. to their birth families. And that that left an, Im- an impression on me about the health of foster care. Mm-hmm. And so, and she ended up, like like Jeff and Tia, she ended up adopting her, the one son. So, Again, can you tell us how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in getting involved, if they have questions? Yes, absolutely. So um, there's a couple of ways they can call 211 and 201 will connect them with putting in an inquiry or they can go to our website, fosteringidaho.org. They can call me if you want to jot down my number, which is 208-249-0180. And I'll personally take your call and walk you through the process. Um, we definitely need foster families. So people that have big hearts, um, have compassion and empathy, are willing to be flexible and work with birth families, you are needed and you really can make a difference, not just in the life of that child that you provide care for, but for that entire family. That's, you know, folks, this is an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ right here in mm-hmm. the Treasure Valley, making an eternal difference. Next week, we're going to talk with Liberty Thompson about what happens when they age out of foster care and and some of the life skill support that way too. And one of the things that I think we'll see is the tremendous impact, long-term impact, that all of this positivity and the stability that's fed into these children 
that it really comes back threefold as they're adults and they can take from that experience and make life better for someone else too. Did I miss anything? Do we have any any questions, comments? I think I would really like to thank the people that are already fostering in our community, thank them for what they are doing and also for the child protection workers. They have a really difficult job and they should be held up as heroes in our community. And they largely do it with compassion. Oh, definitely. I, I recently had a conversation with um, a, a grandparent who had had a child abandoned in their home and CPS got called for whatever reason on the mother, not on the grandparents, but because of the I's weren't talked, dotted and the T's weren't crossed, they had to hold the child for the three-day period. And the officer that came out was so compassionate and so kind. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not what Hollywood makes it out to be. It's not the, always this big, ugly scene. Absolutely. So No, a lot of actually is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. So, folks, that brings our time to an end this week. We invite you back next week, as I already implied, Liberty Thompson with Jim Friends will be here talking about working with teens as they age out of the foster care program. And I'm sure we're going to get to hear about how some of them are feeding back into the community as Jim Friends is now 13 years old. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys and in Central Idaho through McCall. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.